Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 169 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen, and I'm passionate about bringing the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with Tim Leeson. Originally studying coastal engineering, Tim then more intimately explored his love of the ocean by becoming the editor of a global bodyboarding magazine, Riptide, for several years. The two threads, water and the power of storytelling, are unrelenting interest for Tim. His project for the Advanced Masters in Design by Data, Computational Design, with the Ecole de Pont Paris Tech, explored the possibility of biomimetic barriers floating breakwaters with 3D printed coral facades to assist low-lying islands experiencing sea level rise due to climate change. Tim currently resides in South Africa and Australia, working on Gippslandia, a community newspaper he co-founded, and the diverse strategic design projects of The Threads Open Agency, as well as other freelance coastal modelling and print projects. So on today's podcast, we'll discuss Tim's diverse experience in work in branding and strategy. We'll find out about some of the work Tim's involved in, and we'll hear some key insights to help you craft strong stories that resonate with your audience. So Tim, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So to kick things off, Tim, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background and what led you to starting Gippslandia and Threads. Okay, so... Because I was born and bred in Bullen Bullen in Victoria, yep. home of the mighty Lybergs. Did my schooling there, um, and then after high school, spent a gap year in China as my parents were teaching English over there. Wow! I then moved to the Gold Coast and studied coastal engineering and loved it there. And and for my undergrad thesis, got the opportunity to build a one in ten scale wave pool to do a proof of concept there. And when I came back, I met the editor of Riptide uh, Bodyboarding Magazine, which was my Bible growing up. Mm-hmm. And he sort of just suggested, hey, how about you write something? And I um, thought, why not? I think that first article was drawing links between artificial waves and artificial breasts. Um, yeah, right. I still don't know how it got <laughs> printed, but um, it was a fun, fun piece. And so then, yeah, Nick Lawrence was the editor and he was an amazing mentor. And I started working for Riptide and became the editor there for several years. And then when I finished up there, I was trying to get uh, back into engineering and the mining boom had just come off in Australia and there was definitely no work to be had. So I headed over to Cape Town where I joined the Ports and Marine Terminals team with uh, Wally Parsons. Yep. And, um, yeah, got to work on some really large-scale coastal engineering projects there, uh, the TANAP uh, gas pipeline across Europe, wow. and, um, and also a big sea level rise study here in South Africa 
in Pozul in Natal, like a, a sea level rise study for the whole province, mm. or large parts of the province. And then, unfortunately, my South African work permit ran out and I was kicked out of the country and I headed uh, back <laughs> home to, to Gippsland and I was trying to get back into South Africa, um, but Department of Home Affairs wasn't sure if I, if I would qualify. And so I was looking what to do and I um, saw a course in computational design in Paris at the Col du Pont yep. and enrolled in that. And while I was home, I was doing some freelance work for the View From Here design studio. And, and at the same time, the announcement of the closure of Hazelwood coal mine happened. Mm. And there was a lot of negativity in the Latrobe Valley and in Gippsland. And, and I'd grown up thinking that if you wanted to have a career, you had to leave Gippsland. And I really felt that spending time back home, that was no longer true. Yeah. And we really had to change the narratives that were happening in Gippsland. Mm. And within a couple of weeks, we set our minds to launching Gippslandia, a publication that would only offer optimistic and positive news. Mm. And the co-founders with me were um, great Michael Duncan and John Calabro. And we <laughs> went nuts for a couple of weeks and had, yeah, had the paper ready after uh, some, some very, very long nights. Wow. But, um, yeah, personally, like Gippslandia was an amazing project to jump into and it was really inspiring right away for me. But I then did a course in Cape Town called Unschool, which was about disruptive design and social enterprise. Mm. And um, after that, Gippslandia definitely had a different connotation for me and I feel it can be even more effective and powerful. Yeah, wow. Yeah. It's a brilliant magazine in a newspaper-type format, Tim. So <laughs> from your experience, what are the most important factors then when it comes to building resilient communities? Because essentially that's one of the core aims of Gippslandia, right? Yeah, definitely. I think, I think it comes down to, to trust is, is a key thing. Uh, I think just at a small scale, say my parents, you know, have, they have their animals and they, they live on a small farm and, and their neighbours and if they want to head on holidays, they can ask their neighbours to take care of their animals and vice versa. Mm. And that might not seem like much, but to be able to have a freedom to um, do what you want to do, to, to use that unfortunate cliche at the moment, you know, live your best life, I guess to know that people have your back, I think is a really key thing in resiliency. Mm. And it's those small gestures that occur many times every day that build up um, to have a larger scale and a larger impact that mm. I think is really powerful. Yeah. And if they're absent, it becomes even more glaring. The other thing, I guess, is, is recognising our shared uh, humanity with everyone that's in our community. Yeah. I think that's a really key thing. And, and this celebration of diversity and inclusion a common thread that's come through Gippslandia that's proven really powerful to me is that a number of um, people who have chatted to have said, I didn't think I could do it until I saw someone that looked like me mm. do it. Whether that's a, a young businesswoman, a Sudanese refugee that gets into AFL football, um, there's so many different times that that has, has come up. And so, yeah, I really think that if we can celebrate everyone's individuality, then 
then we're a long way to making more resilient communities. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really brilliant perspective there, Tim. So what do you believe then are the most common elements when it comes to crafting and telling a brand story that resonates with a particular group of people? Because you've got a lot of experience in, in writing stories. Yeah, um, personality. <laughs> hmm. I think you have to show that you're a real person. You've, you've definitely got to show that the subject's a person, that you add your own flavour as a writer, and then, and then we want Gippslandia also to have its own personality. Mm. And I think with those three, you can connect with people a little bit easier. Yeah, completely. Um, I, I think also was showing, not being afraid to show a full breadth of emotion. And, and maybe, Tom, you've seen this too, is, is like when you go to a, a conference or, a, or an event and the speaker shows a little bit of uh, humility and maybe shares some of their failures. Yeah. There's something there that you can, um, that builds empathy and can really resonate more in storytelling. Mm. And then I think there needs to be a knowledge transfer. I think you have to offer them something, especially when print is supposedly a, a dying medium, which I'll <laughs> fight back for eternity. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I really think that you have to offer read or something and and that maybe is is an, a knowledge transfer or an idea or a point of motivation or inspiration mm. there's some great insights there coming from a lot of experience tim so what are the top things then that you believe any social enterprise or business owner should really be considering when it comes to their communications and marketing strategy i imagine there's a lot of crossover there in, in the things you've just said yeah there is there's one thing that's like trying to capture the lightning in a bottle that has, is a topic that it's come up more and more in discussions. Mm. Um, but I think that, it, that Australians particularly are really good at it, and that's authenticity. It's like a catch cry at the moment, but I think that we really have such a good BS meter, um, yeah. to put it frankly, as, as Australians, and I think we react pretty strongly to hypocrisy. Mm. Um, and that we really, the connections that are developed when you're genuine are just unbelievably stronger. And nothing really cuts through if you're just faking it. Yeah. It, it, only, it only works on a surface level. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that you need to select the right, the right medium uh, for the message. So how you develop the story for an email newsletter versus uh, Instagram post versus a Twitter post. They're, they're each unique platforms mm. and you need to treat them as such. And that's how you get better engagement of each of them. It's not just a cut and paste approach yep. across each one. My next point, which sort of ties into that, is listening. And some of the things that have really struck a chord with either Threads or with Gippslandia is when you can you listen to your community that you've been developing and they give you feedback and you can come back with a post or an article or um, a conversation that just strikes the chord a lot better. Mm. And, I mean, there was a post that we put recently on the difficulties of farming and mental health and, and the drought. And, I mean, that spread like wildfire. And it just sort of shows that, you know, a lot of those sort of rumblings have been in the Gippsland community for a while. Yeah. And, and it just strikes a chord. 
there are some brilliant insights, Tim. So thanks for sharing those. You've mentioned threads a couple of times today and, and in our intro, we talked a little bit about it. So I'm curious to hear about some of the projects that you're involved with with threads at the moment. Okay, so threads uh, stems from the master's program. Main driver behind it is Adrian Rigabello, who's an absolute monster when it comes to um, taking on different design projects. Mm. And a lot of the team from the master's, it was a real exposure to multidisciplinary, cross-disciplinary international teams. We had architects, artists, engineers uh, from all different fields, different walks of life. And the conversations and the problem solving that, that we enjoyed in the course were amazing and I found them incredibly stimulating. And so Threads was born from that. And it's looking at, at like, I guess, the Anthropocene, how humans are changing the world mm -hmm. and, and how we can address that. We were a finalist for the World Architecture Festival last year with a project that was looking at changing the density and the structure of sidewalks the concrete on sidewalks and see if you could get water to flow and purify actually in the footpath rather than through the gutter mm. or before it hit the gutter. Yeah. One of our biggest projects was a hospital gown that is made, is fabricated from kombucha. Mm -hmm. So the, the scoby that comes off the top of a kombucha drink, um, you, can, you can process it and tan it and it becomes a textile. And we made a, um, yeah, a gown that was dyed with uh, a waste product from wine grapes. Hmm. And the waste product is um, really high in antioxidants and can have both kombucha and the dye can, can have beneficial um, properties for your skin. But it also is a case of frugal design and giving agency back to the patient. Mm. Because the dye changes colour, you can see the level, you can match it to a level of the antioxidant. And so you could say the patient can go, I need to change this now. Mm. The effectiveness has run out. And in obviously in today in Western medicine, um, the patient doesn't usually have agency. And we thought that was a big change. Yeah. Um, and we want to, now we're looking at kombucha as a way to address uh, fast fashion, develop a care relationship with your fabrics, um, clothing that can be repaired rather than just thrown out, mm. um, doing, doing maintenance on your clothes. Yep. And then the other big projects that we're looking at are related to, to water. You've seen in Cape Town, uh, nearly running dry, we know very well in Australia, uh, the water issues that we face there. Um, people are so disconnected with the water cycle where their water comes from, what their water use actually means, yep. that um, improving social agency and, and again, community resilience um, via water is, is a passion for mm. sure. Some super interesting projects there, Tim. So you're spending a lot of time in South Africa at the moment, so I'm really keen to hear about some of the interesting purpose-led sort of projects or people that really inspire you there. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> South Africa is an incredible place. I've spent close to six years being engaged with it now, and I don't know if I'll ever really get a handle on it. Mm. Um, it's such a complex history. And, I mean, just 
to begin with, there's 11 official languages. It, it's a it's a very complex place to understand as a as an outsider. But I'm very fortunate to have to have met some amazing friends, and also my partner comes from uh, one background. My amazingly, my sister, her fiance is also South African, and yeah. he comes from a completely different background. Yeah. Uh, so we're able to have a lot of very diverse conversations at the at the dinner table, which mm. is amazing. Yep. When I first got here, I joined a basketball team and the coach of that basketball team has been instrumental in opening up my perspective of South Africa. Hmm. The team, uh, Haderfell Basketball Club, is based on the Cape Flats and outside of Cape Town. And that is uh, one of the areas with, I guess, the highest rate of gangsterism. It was an area that the apartheid government uh, took people out of central Cape Town and dumped them out onto the flats with not many employment opportunities, uh, difficulties to travel into the employment opportunities. Mm. And it's just uh, manifested into quite a difficult environment for a lot of people to live. Yeah. Um, but this basketball club was phenomenal. They used sport to address the gangsterism problem, to include kids, to raise really good citizens. Mm. And just seeing some of the guys that I coached in, in the under-12 team and seeing them now starting to play for the men's team mm. and how they've changed in that time and how they've grown is just such a powerful thing. Yeah. And that community was so, was so inclusive. Like we would have team dinners and there was absolutely no hesitation to do a thank you, just a common thank you for the food and everyone gathering, then a Christian prayer and then a Muslim prayer. Mm. And everyone was included and we could do better with that in Australia, I feel. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Yeah, that sounds like a wonderful club and, and project that's creating a lot of really positive social change there. So to finish yeah. off, Tim, I'd love to hear a few great books or, or other resources that you think would really inspire our listeners. Well, honestly, I've been listening to a lot of basketball podcasts lately because <laughs> of the NBA final. Um, but now that that's finished, congratulations to Toronto. Um, some of the things I've been into, uh, I just finished Prisoners of Geography by Tim Marshall, mm. which is 10 maps that tell you everything about ge uh, global politics, geopolitics. Yeah. I found that really interesting, especially in the discussions of Africa. Yeah and how Africa has developed. Um, I really recommend that. Sort of, it's been a progression from um, Uncle Bruce Pascoe's Dark Emu mm. to Bill Gamage's The Biggest, The Greatest Estate yep. to Charles Massey, Call of the Reed Warbler. I've, I've found those stories um, mind-blowing. It's really changing how I look at Australia. Yeah. You may have come across too, the Rescope Project. I think it's recently been changed to Regen Narration, which is a podcast program talking to lots of different different experts and people involved in social change in Australia and resiliency again. Brilliant. And I have to give props to a Gippsland podcast, uh, The Gloaming. The Gloaming. They, do some, they do some great stuff to do. Brilliant. Oh, well, they sounds like some great podcasts and certainly some good books there too, Tim. So I'll put some links in the article through to those. 
And so I'd like to just thank you. Thanks for, for sharing your really generous insights and experience and time today. It's been a pleasure to touch base and it'll be great to watch Threads and Gippslandia and all your other projects progress forward in the future. Thank you very much, Tom. It's great chatting to you. It's our pleasure. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.